Well, this morning we're going to continue, and actually we're going to wrap up our current series called Relational Intelligence, and we've been talking, this will be week three, we've been talking the last several weeks about uh, being intelligent with relationships. We've been talking about how it's important for every one of us to not only define relationships in our lives, but to also then align them so that they take a proper place in your life. And it saves a lot of heartache. It saves a lot of hurt along the way. One of the key verses we've been using for this series says this. It says, that guard, it says to guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So think about your life as far as the whole span goes, the course of it, like what it takes to get from birth uh, until you go to meet Jesus one day, that course that it takes. Your heart determines that course, or the condition of your heart is what determines that course. So as, especially as believers, but even as humans, we should be very careful to guard our hearts, right? You can talk back to me. Come on, y'all. It's, you, you can, we, we, we should be extremely intentional and extremely aware that we need to guard our hearts because it determines the course of our life. If you want a good course of life, you need a good, healthy heart. But if we live with no relational intelligence, we just live wide open. Everybody gets access. It's the common problem we have with social media today is that everybody has access to your life. You put all your business for the world to see, and then people respond, and they start to comment, and then you don't like what they say, and your heart gets hurt. And you're mad at them. I'm going, no, it was you. (laughs) You put it out there. And so we should guard our hearts above all else. And so week one, we talked about friendships and how it's important to define those friendships. And we, we use the example that Jesus gave us when he, when he had 12 disciples, but yet he took the three, Peter, James, and John, and they had a greater access with Jesus. They, they went to the Mount of Transfiguration with him. And then they also were there with him in, a, in the deepest part of the garden. They seen Jesus at his high moment, Think about this. They were with Jesus when God spoke from heaven and said, this is my son whom, whom I dearly love, right? And then they were there in the garden in, in his, one of his darkest hours where he's, the Bible says he's, he's sweating like blood. I mean, it's like, it's like he's, he's just agonizing about what's getting ready to happen to him. They seen him at his high point and they seen him at his low point. You got to be careful who your friends are. Because if they can't handle you at your high point and they can't handle you at your low point, you don't need them as friends. Right? Then last week we tackled the topic of marriage and, and how it's important to, to just remain in love and to continue to date. I had a lady catch me right before service. She said, I did what you said, Pastor, which is, you know, always a pastor's joy to hear. But it's also frightful sometimes because I say things sometimes. I go, please don't do that. No, but she said, I took my husband on a date. And I was like, come on. Okay, guys, that should give you hope. I mean, if she, if she calls you up and says, bro, you better get dressed and get ready. I'm taking you out. If you don't drop what you're doing and go get dressed, you a fool. Amen? Good job. So today I want to I wrap this series up and um, just to kind of give you a preview of what's coming next. Next weekend will be a standalone message. And then for four weeks after that, we're going to get into parenting. Um, to, to, parenting has become one of the biggest issues I just feel in my heart right now. Uh, that, that we deal with not only as a church, but even as a, as a city and as a region, 
parenting. I had the I had the privilege of going to two elementary schools this week, and it had been a little while since I've been there. And I'm at the first elementary school, and I did my my uh, Black History Month speech and on the intercom, and I was done, and I was visiting with the principals and all that, and. I'm getting ready to leave, and there's a line of boys, probably about 10 of them, sitting on a bench outside, and they're getting, like, scolded. This lady's, like, scolding them. I mean, I, I was like, I'm sorry. I'm so, I don't know. I just felt like repenting. I mean, it was like, and she's just scolding them, and they're all sitting there with their heads down. And, and I looked at the lady next to me. I said, can I talk to those boys for a minute? I just had a burden in my heart because it was like, can I just talk to them for a minute? And, and I just, and the, and the lady left, and, and they gave me the boys, and I just talked to them about who they are. And I said, don't you get tired of this? Like, aren't you tired of the way this is? And you get to make this decision if you're going to listen to your teacher or not. And just try to, just try to, you're better than this. Come on. It's, it's like, and it was like it was foreign to them. They never get positive reinforcement. They never, they never get anything from home, and then they come to school, and we expect, anyway, that's another message. It's a burden in my heart. I woke up with it this morning, and we're going to see God do some incredible things. So we're going to take a couple weeks and talk about parenting. So I would encourage you to uh, prepare your friends to come. Uh, We're also going to be doing a parenting intensive in Jennings on the 14th uh, that you don't want to miss. I promise you, you want to sign up for this. It's going to be a great time. Um, Our very own Jennifer Glasscock is going to be leading that. And I I sat through that intensive about three or four years ago, and I think I'm a pretty good parent. I I went over my notes this week. I found my paperwork that she gave, and I went over my notes, and I don't know if I've ever taken that many notes. And I was like, where were you at 15 years before that when I was just starting to have kids? (laughs) And so it's going to be a great time, so you're going to want to sign up for that as well. Amen? So today we're going to wrap up the series. We're going to talk about... (laughs) Now, now, don't, when I give you the title of the message, like, don't, don't tap out on me, okay? Single, secure, and satisfied. Okay, we're talking about being single, secure, and satisfied. And some of you married folks are going, I've been wondering what it's like to be single. Stop that. Stop that. Not today, Satan. <laughs> But I promise you there's something in here for every one of us because all of us were single at one time. And, and I've come to the understanding that you can be married but almost live like you're single still. So whether you're married or not, I want you to listen this morning. I want you to ask God to speak to you today. And this, this message will apply to every teenager in here. So you teenagers need to be taking notes. If you're in big church, you got to take notes. Come on, parents, elbow them, something. According to the latest U.S. Census, over 45% of American adults are single. 110 million adults that are single. People are getting married later. Males are getting married at 30. Females are getting married at 28. They're getting married later. I don't know if that's a problem or not. I know the, the pre, premarital course that we use says 25 and older is the optimal age to get married, but due to maturity. And so that's, that's where folks are getting married today, between the ages of 28 and 30. And I want to show you something this morning. The greatest man who ever lived, Jesus, and the greatest theologian, Paul, were both single. 
And watch this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul says this. I'm going to read it to you from the message translation just because I like the way it says it. Sometimes I wish everyone were single like me, a simpler life in many ways. But celibacy is not for everyone any more than marriage is. God gives the gift of the single life to some and the gift of the married life to others. I do, though, tell the unmarried and widows that singleness might might well be the best thing for them, as it has been for me. But if they can't manage their desires and emotions, they should, by all means, go ahead and get married. The difficulties of marriage are preferable by far to a sexually tortured life as a single. So Pastor Josh did a, a Facebook study this, this week, and he, he kind of um, surveyed the crowd and said, you know, what is it like? What's the best and the worst parts of being single and the common thread was and I thought it was kind of humorous the common thread was well the positive is I can do what the heck I want to I don't have to answer to nobody I don't have to come home when I don't have to come home I don't have to ask permission where I got to spend all my money like like it's like I get to have a party right but then the backside of the worst part was is when the party's over with I'm lonely so best part, I get to do what I want. Worst part, I'm lonely. And that was the, 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 the overall consensus of the survey. And so I'm coming to you this morning as, as a guy who was once single, um, as a guy who never wants to be single again. Okay, I, I believe I, get, I was given the gift of marriage. I need to be married. I don't do good by myself, but some of you can. And I mean that seriously. Some of you can. Disclaimer, not if you're already married. <laughs> so I want to give you three truths this morning about being single, secure, and satisfied. Number one, you don't have to wait to be great. You don't have to wait to be great. We can get obsessed with what's next so much so that we miss out on what's now. Come on, you remember what it was like to be in high school? Some of you can remember back that far. You're in high school. What are the teachers saying? Where are you going to college? 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 I was like, well, I won't go to college. <laughs> it was like a, not even an option not to go to college. Like they told us if you didn't go to college, you're going you're gonna to be a trash man the rest of your life. I, I agree. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. But then you get to college and they're like, well, what job are you going to get? Right? So then you're worried about what kind of job you're going to get. Then you get a job. Then, you, then when are you going to get married? And then you finally get married, and as soon as you get married, like, when are you going to have kids? It's like, bro, stop. Take the pressure off, because sometimes we're so worried about what's next that we miss out on what's now. How many of you have ever been guilty of thinking the grass was greener on the other side? Come on, I've been guilty. I've come to realize the grass is greener where you water it or where you have a gas leak. You ever see grass grow under a gas leak like you have a gas leak? In? It's greener where you water it. So you don't have to wait to be great. We got to come to a place where you understand that your presence alone is a present to this world. That your presence is a present to this world. And for all of you teenagers here this morning, listen to me. Your presence, you are a present to this world. 
Right now you are. So singleness is not a stop sign. Your life doesn't begin when you get married. How many of you would say amen to that? <laughs> you ought to see some of your faces right now. <laughs> and I'm talking to the married people. Your life doesn't begin when you get married. Don't live like you're waiting. The season of singleness is a gift. You see, that was never told to me. That was never taught I was never taught that. I was never, nobody spoke that language to me. When I was coming up and I was a teenager and I was just getting older through college and everything, the whole goal was to get married. Everybody pushed you to marriage, pushed you to marriage, pushed you to marriage, almost like marriage is some kind of safety zone that keeps you in this safe spot that as long as I'm married, everything's going to be okay. And then you come into marriage with the wrong expectations. And then it's a train wreck right? And then, and then you end up going, man, what did I do? I thought marriage was going to change this. I thought marriage was going to be all this, but it's not. I see, I see singles today, and I, I don't know what it's like to be single today, but I, I watch and I observe, and I see singles today, and, and a lot of times their focus is on the who. Who? When it's not the who, it's when. And so you're spending all your focus, your time, your energy, your efforts on who and when. Who and when. And you know what you're doing while you're wondering who and when? You're missing out on life. You're totally missing out on life. What if you just live and trust God to bring the who and the when, and you just live and serve him and honor him and glorify him with your life, and then watch what God does? So don't waste your time looking, spend your time serving, growing, and going. You'll never have the amount of free time that you have right now while you're single. <laughs> Thank you for not saying amen. <laughs> Think of a pie. Think of a pie for a minute. Like when you're single, it's your pie. Right? You get to eat the whole pie. When you're married, somebody else gets a slice. Actually, they get half, right? So I had a whole pie. Now I got half. Then you have kids, and they start taking slices. Yeah, you wish slices. But I want you to understand something. You don't have to wait to be great, but the enemy wants to come and steal your opportunities today to enjoy life, to live it to its fullest, to get to know Jesus without distraction, to get to walk with Jesus like you'll never get to walk with him again. When you're single, Jesus, he'll say go and you can go. Right? Paul says this in, in Corinthians 7, 17. He says, and don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. God, not your marital status, defines your life. God defines your life. You'll never have as much time as you have now. 
But here's, here's the struggle, right? So, so here's the struggle. Is, is sometimes when you're, and this is the struggle for married people too, I'm sure. I mean, I've, I've, never, <laughs> I've never had these thoughts. But you, 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 you friends with single people on Facebook. And man, they're ripping and running. And I hear, you know, married people sometimes look at that and go, God, it must be nice. But then there's, then there's the single people who look at the married people and go, oh, man. When, Lord? When? When will I have a marriage like that? The problem is, is they're not showing you the whole marriage. And you're not seeing all of being single either, Right? You're just seeing the best of both worlds. And, you're, and if you're not careful, you'll lose gratitude for where you are right now because you're longing for something that ain't there yet. Is this making sense yet? Come on, you'll, you'll, you'll forget what you got right now and you'll, you'll, it'll depreciate in your life because you're focused on what somebody else has and you get caught up in a comparison trap. You know the enemy loves to get you to compare your life to everybody else's? Did you know that some people are comparing their lives to yours? while you're busy comparing yours to somebody else's? Why don't you just be satisfied with who you are and make the best of that? So don't let the enemy steal your best gift. If you're single right now, you have an opportunity to run. You have an opportunity to live like you wouldn't be able to live if you were married. Not to say that marriage is a bad thing, but you you have opportunities right now. Enjoy it. Don't let the enemy steal it from you. Don't let him distract you from it. Live it till it's fullest. Number two, a ring or a relationship does not determine your value. A ring or a relationship does not determine your value. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. Like you're valuable before you get the ring. Okay, I'm going to... That's why I didn't get that. You're valuable before you get the ring. The ring doesn't make you valuable. You're a masterpiece. God created you with his very own hands. You're custom made. There's nobody else like you. The ring is a piece of gold that just comes along to what's already valuable. Amen? So a ring or a relationship is not what adds value to you. You're valuable already, but that's the trick of the enemy. It's to get you to think that you're missing something that you're really not missing. He'll tell you you're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not thin enough. You're not strong enough. You're not rich enough. One day you're going to have to stop trying to fix what's not broken. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, 23, he said, God paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved by the world. You know what happens when you start to understand how valuable you are? You quit giving people discounted versions of you. Think about that. When you understand how valuable you are, when you get a good revelation of how God's, you're his masterpiece. Like there's nobody else like you. You'll quit giving people discounted versions of you. And you'll quit discounting yourself. You don't need a ring and you don't need a relationship to make you valuable. Because here's the problem. When you don't give something its proper value, you don't protect it like you should. Right? 
You don't protect it. If you don't understand the value of something, then you don't protect it like you should. Listen to what Proverbs 31 says. A wife of noble character who can find, she is worth far more than rubies. That's a woman that knows her worth, right? She's a woman that knows her worth. She's a woman that understands how much she's worth and what's been given to her. I've got three kids who are 2018 and 16, and, and I was messing with my oldest one the other day. I said, uh, any, uh, any cute boys in the art department? She's like, Dad. I ain't going to tell you what she said, but she's like, Dad. Yeah. And she was like, Dad, uh, no. I'm like, okay, just checking, you know, just like, you know, like, like anybody got your eye on, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and she'll hang out with Dorian sometimes at college. I'm like, anybody in Dorian's department looks kind of cute? Dad, come on. I'm like, what? You're 20. I mean, you're not like, one day you got to leave. And I'm just messing, you know, I'm just messing. I'm like, one day you're not going to get you married. And, and, and she made this statement. She goes, Dad, I don't have time for that right now. That's not my priority. And you know what? You know what felt good in my heart about that statement was? is she's not putting value on some relationship that she hopes to get to make her something that she thinks she's not. Amen? She's not going, oh, once I find him, everything will be perfect. Oh, hit the brakes. It's going to be more complicated. It's not going to be perfect. But you're valuable before you even get there. Right? Amen? So instead of playing hard to get, won't you actually be hard to get? Like, be hard to, but perhaps you'll never get a married. Don't worry about all that. God will put the spirit of attraction on you, and he'll call a man all the way across the globe to come over here and marry you if he wants you married. Amen? Be hard to get. Why? Because you're valuable. You'll never get this moment again. I pray you don't. And then number three, focus on your purpose and trust God for your partner. Focus on your purpose and trust God for your partner. The problem with our society is we focus on who we want more than who we are becoming. Here's the two greatest lies we tend to believe that I need a better marriage and I need more money. (laughs) How many of you raise your hand to more money? (laughs) <laughs> don't raise your hand for a better marriage. <laughs> but but we, we, we tend to think, well, if this will get better, if I'll get more of this, then this will become this. You know what money and marriage is? They're magnifiers. You know what they do? They actually magnify who you are. You think you all like, go get married. Come on, somebody. You think you, you God's gift to women? Go get married. One day you'll be like, does my wife even love me? Focus on your purpose and trust God for your partner. You know, this ring, it's it's not as, as powerful as some people think it is. Now, we believe that the ring has a value, okay? We believe that when you put the ring on, it means something, that God's binding us together and all these things. But, you know, my life didn't, like, all of a sudden change. How many of you have seen Lord of the Rings? My precious, 
right? It's like, you know, they put the ring on and they turn into something else. Okay, listen, no, that don't work. We put the rings on, and you know what happened? We went into a life of being beat down because it was two people learning how to die to live for one another instead of for themselves. Amen? So it's not like we said, hey, I got the ring. Now I'm the man. No. It was different, right? Song of Solomon chapter 8 verse 4 says this, Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, not to awaken love until the time is right. Can you trust God with the timing? Can you just trust him with the timing? If your priority is not finding the one and your priority is serving the one, then can you just trust him to bring it at the right time? Like, wouldn't it be good if it just came at the right time? Like, not you, had, you didn't have to force it. You didn't have to chase it down. You didn't have to go catch it. Like, God brought it at the right time. I believe sin happens when I try to meet a God-given desire outside of God's intended design. We get impatient and we want security, so we hook up with the wrong person in the wrong way at the wrong time. Listen to me, and all you married folks will, will agree with this. It's better, it's, <laughs> it's better to be single and lonely than married and miserable. I know you're not saying amen for your marriage. You're just saying in for the, you know, your friends that you know, right? Yeah, it's just, it's just you know, so I was talking about, because some of you are going to get in the car, and you're like, you said amen to that. And then we'll have to go back into a relationship series next week. Philippians 4.19, this always stays true. And my God will supply your every need, will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And I want you to understand something today. There is never a need that Jesus cannot meet. Jesus can meet loneliness. You know how I know that? Because even though I'm a married man, sometimes I still get lonely. And I, I try to put that pressure on Cheryl to meet some kind of certain need that only God can feel, right? Jesus can still meet you in your loneliness today. So I want to show you a biblical story of what I'm talking about today. And it comes from the book of Ruth. And, and Ruth's a pretty fascinating story. I read it again this week and just really, really saw it with a different perspective. Um, Ruth was a, a Moabite woman and Naomi was her mother-in-law. I'm going to give you the backstory. Naomi and her husband and her two boys moved to Moab because of a great famine. They moved to Moab and they, they start to do life there. And the boys end up marrying some Moabite women. Not long after that, the dad dies. So Naomi is now the mother-in-law. She's now a widow. So the two sons are married to Moabite women, Ruth and another lady. And, and, and then before too long, the two boys die. And so now, not only is Naomi a widow, but her, her two daughters-in-law are widows also. And, and so she's like, listen, I'm going home. <laughs> like, this isn't even my country. I'm going home. I'm going back to Jerusalem. Y'all can come or you can stay. And, and through a, a, uh, 
certain amount of events, Ruth basically says to Naomi, wherever you go, I'm going. Wherever you live, I'm living. And wherever you die, I'm dying. So, so Ruth knitted her heart to Naomi and followed her. And so Ruth comes back to Jerusalem with Naomi. She gave up her life. She could have stayed in Moab in her home country and remarried, and she could have started a new life, but instead she decided to follow her mother-in-law and serve her mother-in-law. So I want you to see all this because it's important because of what happens to, Na- to, to Ruth and also to Naomi because of Ruth's decision to follow her mother-in-law. So they come back to Jerusalem, and then there's an opportunity to go and to pick the fields. So they would come in behind the harvesters. They would let the people, whoever wanted to, come in behind the harvesters and just pick up the scraps. There was actually a law in the Old Testament that said you, you shouldn't pick within so many feet of the road so that you can leave some for the people behind you. Okay, So like even the farmers were contributing to the, to the poor people in the city by leaving some behind. So Ruth comes and... And she's just very humbly just working every day, working, working, gathering, trying to supply for her mother-in-law. She's, she gave up life as she could have known it to serve somebody else. You see in this? And she, she, she died to her own needs, her own desires, her own wants, and she decided to serve her mother-in-law. So she's serving her mother-in-law, and then we pick up the story in chapter 2, and it says this, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. I like that part where it says, and she happened, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Her focus is to serve her mother-in-law. Her focus is to supply the needs that they have. Her focus is not her own needs, but the needs of the community or the family that she's living in. You see in this, she got busy doing what she needed to do to supply for the people around her. She was busy doing what God wanted her to do. Listen to me. If you're single, get busy doing what God wants you to do and focus on that, and you're just going to happen to end up in Boaz's field. Come on. Miracles happen when you don't focus on the problem. If you're too busy staring at the problem, God's like, would you just look away so I can do what I do? It feels that way sometimes. Right? So Ruth is a single godly woman. She's busy working, not waiting. She wasn't looking for a man. She was just being faithful to what God had given her. Now watch what happens. Verse 5. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued, listen to this, she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. You want to know what got Boaz's attention? It wasn't her clothes because she was working. It wasn't her makeup because there was none. It wasn't her hairdo because it was all tied up in a knot. 
She was busy working. She, she stayed focused on what she was supposed to be doing, not being distracted by anything else, and that's what attracted him to her. If you're waiting, you're not attractive. Ooh. Sorry. If you're busy doing what God wants you to do, how about you let somebody see God's anointing on your life in this real world and let them fall in love with, what you, with who you are, not what you look like. If you follow the ways of this world, you fall in love with what people look like and then you get distracted and you get off course. But if you do what God called you to do and you have his perspective on things, you'll start to appreciate people for who they are. Not what they claim to be. Not what they dress themselves up to be. And she served. And served and served day after day. The Bible goes on to say in Ruth that, that eventually he was just like impressed by her. I mean, when it finally came time for her to become attractive, her mother-in-law had said, baby... You're going to have to put on your best dress. Like, girl, you're going to have to go take a bath, right? Put on some perfume. Like, do your hair up a little bit. Get that stuff out from underneath your nails, okay? You go meet him at the threshing floor. Like, like she had to try to be attractive to him. Come on, you follow what I'm saying? She wasn't being attractive to get anybody's attention. She was being godly to get his attention. And when she realized she got his attention, she said, you know what? It's time for me to start dressing up. Because this, you got to come to a place where you start realizing that, that the, what the person sees in you is very important. If all they ever say is, oh, you fine. Like, is that all you ever see? It's like my clothes. Oh, I like them jeans on you. I got this strange anointing on me. Uh, I probably shouldn't say this. Should I say this, G? Kind of. Deli. <laughs> I got this strange anointing on me. It's like, it's like there's, there's something about, I don't know how to say this. I'm white, right? Like white. I'm, I'm 100% white. Caucasian, however you want to clean up. I'm not trying to be racist here. I'm white. But I've been like hit on by some, some black women. I know this is really weird for a pastor to say this, but like I got caught in an elevator one time and this woman starts sucking her teeth. She's like, and she had her friend and she's going, girl, he's fine. And she goes, mm-hmm. And I'm like, next floor, next floor. And I didn't know how to take that, right? But they just love me because I'm attractive. They don't love me because of my heart. I had one tell me, my legs look good. I'm trying to get shiners to go fishing. I'm standing in my shark pants, and this woman's behind me. You know, you feel people staring at you, and I'm just kind of like, and I turn around, and I was like, uh-oh. And she goes, you work out? I'm like, see, you got some nice-looking calves. I'm like, oh, my God. They didn't want me for my heart. They wanted me for my legs. What people notice about you and the thing they appreciate the most about you is what you need to be paying attention to. 
right? If it's all about your body and it's all about your image and it's all about your exterior, then listen to me. That's your warning sign. Get out of Dodge. They're looking at the wrong thing. Boaz fell in love with her diligence. He fell in love with her, with her, with her, just her perseverance and her tenacity and her hard work. He fell in love with the fact that she came from another country and gave her life up for somebody else. That's what he fell in love with. Is this helping? It's, listen, it feels good when somebody says, oh, you look good. Okay, that feels good for a minute. But if you're going to spend any time with that person, it's going to take more than that. Did that help? Was that too awkward? My story too awkward? Wasn't too bad. I cleaned it up a lot. It's important to see how Boaz sees Ruth. Because how Boaz looks at Ruth is how Jesus looks at us. Boaz is an Old Testament version of Jesus. He's an example, a picture of Jesus. Boaz was known as the kinsman redeemer. So basically what happened is, is when your family came back to town and all the, all the men were dead, some other family member, they had, a, they had them in priority in line. The, the, first, the first one in line could go and he could buy their field. And if there was a single woman that he could marry that woman, he gets first rights to do that. So Boaz was not the first one to do that. Boaz was actually second in line. So Boaz goes to the guy who's first, and he says, hey, man, listen, I don't know if you realize, but Naomi came back to town. She's got a lot of land, and, and she's got a daughter-in-law with her. You, you, you have the opportunity to buy this land back, to redeem it back to the family. And he goes, oh, great, I'm going to do that. He goes, well, hang on a second. He, she has a daughter-in-law named Ruth that you'll need to marry also. He says, oh, no, I ain't got time for that. So he backs out. Boaz steps in, and he redeems the family, which is important. If, if a guy or a girl's not looking at you like Jesus looks at you, then you need to run away. Can I just say that? Like, like it's, Boaz came in to redeem her, not to get something from her. He came in to lift her up, to raise her value. That's what Jesus did for us, right? He saved us, and in saving us, he increased our value. We went, we went from being enemies of God to friends of God. Because Jesus redeemed us. Good? Pay attention to what people appreciate about you because it says a lot about how they see you and what they're looking for. Right? If all they talk about is your stuff, then can I just tell you, they're all about your stuff. If they're asking how you're doing, how are you feeling, how's your marriage, how's your spiritual life, listen to me. Cling to those friends because they don't come around often. Right? Let's pray. You don't have to wait to be great. A ring or a relationship does not determine your value. And you need to focus on your purpose and trust God for your partner. Trust God for your partner. How many of you would say today that, you know what, even though I'm married, I 
I've gotten off course. Because it's a great temptation. It's, it's a great, it's, it's an easy place to slip off into where we start to focus on things that we shouldn't be focusing on. For all of you that are single from teenagers on up, that this morning that you, I hope you got a greater understanding that, that you're great already you don't need somebody else to add value to you, to make you better. Jesus made you great. And that if I'll just start focusing on this life that God has for me right now, just like Ruth did, maybe I'll just happen across I'll just happen to find it at the right time when my heart is good when I am good when my identity is good when I know who I am in Christ and I don't need anybody else to validate me if that takes X amount of years am I okay with that this morning death back into spiritual life. He redeems us back to himself, back to the Father. And so some of you this morning, you're you're sitting here and you're not sure where you'll spend eternity. You're not sure where you'll spend the rest of your life once you pass and go. And I just want to tell you today that you don't have to leave that way. You don't have to leave that way. Bible actually says says that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you can give your life to Jesus, go from spiritual death into spiritual life, be born again, and enjoy a life where his spirit lives inside of you. It's a new life, the Bible says. It's a new creation. So if that's you and you want to make that decision today, I want to lead you just through a prayer introduce you to Jesus this morning so nobody's looking around it's a private moment if that's you and you want to give your life to Jesus this morning just lift your hand real quick 
bless you today. <clears throat> we thank you for all that you're doing, all that you've done. In Jesus' name.